Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music. They're online at respectsextet.com. They're celebrating their 10th anniversary this year with shows in, I think, both September and October, and also uh, albums that you can get on their website, all kinds of cool stuff. So please go to respectsextet.com and check them out. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the show's logo and who is a great writer, very funny guy, and he tweets at twitter.com slash Dave Vrabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. Speaking of Twitter, if you want to be one of the people who follows me there, just follow me at Jason D. Crane, D as in David. Thanks to All About Jazz for carrying the show on their website, allaboutjazz.com. They've got a widget, too, so if you get that widget and you put it on your website, the Jazz Session widget, it'll always display the most recent episode on your site. And if you do that, please tell me because I'll mention you in my newsletter. Thanks. Today's guest is uh, the Italian guitarist Marco Capelli, and... The project we're going to talk about today is is something very special. It you'll hear obviously much more about it in detail in the interview, but it's a DVD multimedia project that he did in cooperation with Art Spiegelman, who many of you will know from Mouse and also from the 9/11 graphic novel that is the the subject of this DVD, and also the actor John Turturro, who really needs no introduction. He's just one of the the giants of the the current crop of actors for the last uh, couple of decades. And then Marco's music. And the uh, the subject, as I mentioned, is Art Spiegelman's uh, 9/11, post-9-11 graphic novel. It's a fairly sensitive set of political topics, and I think Marco handles it sensitively in the interview and on the DVD. Uh, I think this thing is extremely important, and I really hope it gets a much wider audience than just this show uh, or you know the New York City scene, because it really, it really operates on levels way beyond... Uh, the world, you know, the small world in which this show moves. So you can find a link uh, about the DVD in the show notes of this episode at thejazzsession.com, and I hope you'll get it. And uh, if you do, you know, invite some friends over and show it to them. Uh, it's an important thing, and uh, it needs as wide an audience as possible. Also, there's going to be some screenings of this in New York City, and uh, although I don't know the dates of those as I'm recording this introduction as soon as i do know them i will send that out in the newsletter and also via twitter so you can follow me at jason d crane and subscribe to the newsletter by going to the jazzsession.com and clicking on the mailing list i was able uh thanks to mode records to get the audio tracks from the dvd and so uh, here's a sample of it and you'll hear more as the interview goes on and you'll also hear music from marco's trio recording here's uh, a sample from in the shadow of no towers I tend to be easily unhinged. Minor mishaps, a clogged drain, running late for an appointment, send me into a sky as falling tizzy. It's a trait that can leave one ill-equipped for coping with the sky when it actually falls. Before 9-11, my traumas were all more or less self-inflicted. But outrunning the toxic cloud that had moments before been the North Tower of the World Trade Center left me reeling on that fault line where world history and personal history collide. The intersection my parents, Auschwitz survivors, had warned me about when they taught me to always keep my bags packed.
My guest is guitarist and composer Marco Capelli, and it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure for me. So I have now watched uh, In the Shadow of No Towers several times, and it's it's an amazing work. I mean, I'm just... Uh, I almost don't have words for it. I, I think it's very, very powerful. Oh, thank you. And uh, to give kind of a sketch of it, it is uh, Art Spiegelman, who many people will know from Mouse. Uh, he did a, a post-9-11 graphic novel, and this is... Uh, kind of an animated version of that not motion animation but kind of moving through the the cells the panels of his graphic novel with John Turturro doing the narration and your music and I guess the first question is how did you even have the idea to do this project and then how did you make it happen <laughs> that's an interesting story because I never could imagine it could arrive to the, the point of uh, having a release um, in a DVD for um, kind of a prestigious label like Mode Records, which is on, um, specialized in uh, contemporary music, usually. Um, so the story uh, started like a few years ago, probably four, and I was in Italy, in uh, Palermo, and uh, I bought in a, in a very nice store that I used to go when I'm over there, uh, with sales comics. Um, I was just watching some books over there, and I saw this book. I didn't know Spiegelman at the time. I, I knew Mouse, but I didn't connect you know, the sure. name of the, um, Spiegelman to Mouse. And um, so I bought this book, this book and uh, I was really impressed, first of all, from, of course, from the topic. And his way, his point of view on the topic, uh, I, I found very close to my feelings. The idea uh, of making something out of it is uh, is born because the book the the way the book is assembled um it's uh something that reminds to me a music counterpoint i mean the 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 there are in each there are ten tables uh on in this book and uh each table has uh more than one layer of narration narration and um those layers overlap continuously, one sure. on top of the other. So just by watching it, I had uh, instantly the idea to to watch a score. And uh, this was the first, the first link to the idea of uh, making some kind of music version or music accompaniment for this story. So that's a little bit the genesis of the thing. Um, Another thing is that uh, back in the years was when I was a teenager, uh, in Italy there was a very nice TV show called Super Gulp and was basically animated comics. Uh, not animated, just comics in TV. So there was just the, the comic uh, filmed and uh, a narrator uh, reading the, the bubble. Okay. So I had this in my mind, and we started to, uh, with my wife, Maria Isabel Governor, who made the graphic car, um, uh, curated the graphic part of the project, and um, her um, colleague at the time, uh, Anne Rothschild, that is a ma an amazing video editor, uh, we started to make some experiments uh, about few possibilities to work on this, on this, on this idea. And we ended up to go by R. Spiegelman that I met through uh, some friends that were working in New York at the time. And he kind of welcomed the idea to do something. He, I don't think he realized in the beginning what we were going to do. And honestly, uh, we didn't know either. So <laughs> uh, it was very, uh, very nice because he said, look, I most likely I will not like what you will do with this stuff because I don't like anything. I don't like even what I do sometimes. So don't expect me to like it, but here is the material, the graphic material of the book. Um, do whatever you want with this and uh, let me know when you're done. You know. Sure. My wife, my daughter, and I are rushing from the bomb site. We hear a roar like a waterfall and look back. The air smells of death. Many months have passed. It's time to move on. I guess I'm finally up to about September 20th. I can still see the glowing tower, awesome, as it collapses. I was sure we were going to die. I've 
always sort of suspected it, but that morning really convinced me. Okay, let's say it's not September anymore. I'm hunched over the drawing table in my lower Manhattan studio with my fingers tightly crossed. It's hard to hold a pen this way, but I'd feel like such a jerk if a new disaster strikes while I'm still chipping away at the last one. So we we started to thinking to uh, make a video trying to narrate the whole uh, content of the book um, and having this video projected with live music and a live uh, narrator. And uh, we the first version was done in Italy uh, in 2008 uh, with an Italian uh, actor. The reason because was uh, reason why it was done in Italy because the festival commissioned the. Um, the whole thing, and okay. uh, we got some uh, uh, a little money to finance the whole thing because basically the process was very expensive, and uh, uh, even if everybody worked uh, for heart, <laughs> in a way, still there were some production expenses to cover, and um, I would never do this again without the production on my back because sure. you know it's, uh, it, is, it has been like pretty uh, a big commitment to take this thing to something would make uh, sense. But uh, uh, there was um, the possibility at the time after the premiere to do other, uh, probably four other concerts, always in Italy, in this Italian version. And so we had the idea with the band, that is an amazing band I had before with uh, two Italian musicians, um, to record the music because, you know, uh, we were bet very well trained at the time. So we decided to go in the studio record the music. And just years later, we decided to use that recording that was made in four hours, basically, uh, to, to, to use it for a DVD release of the same work. So what we see on the DVD is the visual that was projected during these yeah, concerts, exactly. plus, right. the, plus a studio version of the music that you basically, played. Basically, what you see in the live version of this uh, this. This well, I don't know how to call it, like a video concert, uh, yeah. multimedia project, whatever you want to call it. Um, basically, all what you hear in the DVD is played live, and uh, and you see on the screen the the the, the video that you sure. see in the DVD. Did the did the content of Spiegelman's book suggest the musical themes to you? Did it did it make it easier to write the music given that? such kind of fully fleshed out ideas of his writing? Uh, the music, uh, I shouldn't claim all the credit for the music because um, uh, I should claim uh, credit for the concept of the old thing. But without um, um, my wife, Maria Isabel Governor on the graphic um, and, and Rothschild for the video, and especially without the con uh, components of this band called Syntax Error, uh, who are Daniele Led on keyboards and Roberto uh, keyboards and sampler, whatever uh, weird electronic stuff <laughs> he uses to create that sound that you can hear in the yeah. DVD. And uh, Roberto Pellegrini, who is an amazing drummer from Cagliari, Sardinia. Uh, without them, the music wouldn't have happened the way it, it is.
basically Daniel and I composed mostly of the themes and all together we we gave a version uh the, the version that you can hear this band was born years before in 2000, 2001 and uh it's a pleasure for me to remind that the, uh those two friends amazing musicians um of mine are basically responsible for all what I knew at the time about New York City scene. <laughs> um, they were living in this like weird town, amazing but very isolated, which is Cagliari in uh, Sardinia. And uh, Daniele uh, at the time had the studio there, and uh, I was used to to go from uh, Naples or Rome, where I was used to live at the time, to work in this studio for different projects. And he had one of the most incredible collection of uh, avant-garde uh, uh, CDs, uh, among which a lot of stuff was produced in New York. So through him, I approached a lot of uh, the amazing music that attracted me to come to check what was going in New York and then to stay and live in, uh, sure. in Brooklyn right now. So um, we were used to, to, we were very used to the language of certain kind of improvisation that we could recall as uh, New York, downtown New York style. Of course, in our, in our version, but you know, that was the, the kind of uh, um, f- um, food we were used to, used to feed us um, uh, to feed ourselves at the time, and also we were watching a lot of movies. Uh, the the uh, we did one uh, one record, one CD called uh, Syntax Error, mm-hmm. and uh, the way the, this music was, uh, uh, you you probably can find it on my website. There is uh, was published in a very limited amount of copies at the time, like many of these like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> low budget independent production, <laughs> but was significant for us because you know. We basically uh, were lived for a week in Roberto's house. Um, I was not married at the time, so I was living alone in this amazing house on the beach. And we were watching movies for uh, probably eight hours, eight, nine, eight, between eight and ten hours a day. Wow. Just landing on this, uh, in this living room and watching movies, any kind of movies, B-movies, horror movies, serious movies, uh, uh, crime story thrillers every kind I mean he, he had an incredible collection of movies and just after that we were like uh, in, in the night we were we went we were used to go in uh, in the basement and record for like maybe three four hours and so we were very used to relate the the music uh, the, the approach at the composition to uh, music animation uh, to movies animation and uh, any course. kind of uh, um, environment related to to the um, to movies, so it was very easy with them to work on something that was was related to images, comics, video. We were very used to work with samples of um, cartoon music and trying to imitate kind of neurotic uh, cartoon music style. Uh, in our way to improvise, so there was a background. That's why I decided to do this 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 project with them. Sure, because you know, of course, I could have done with uh, many other people, but at the time when I decided, they looked perfect for for the kind of uh, music ideas I had in mind. And the strange thing is that even if the music idea is kind of related to what I was doing in New York, I decided to do it with two Italian <laughs> partners because. Um, we were really sharing together this kind of uh, music world. Yeah. You said in the beginning that you thought your perspective on 9-11 was similar to Art Spiegelman's. Can you say a little bit more about that? Well, I was very impressed. Um, You know, first of all, I have to say that uh, back then, uh, like now, I... I was and I'm very, very shy to touch this topic, especially with uh, in a place like New York where the whole thing touches very deep feelings of everybody. So I was um, kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's always difficult to express uh, an opinion that makes sense about all this. You obviously know that, uh, especially in Europe, there are, especially in, 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 uh, in a leftist environment, let's say, a lot of dubs that um, and versions and opinions and um, you know ideas about like 
how something like what happened in in uh, in America in uh, in on September 11 could happen without um, anybody uh, preventing it or anybody doing anything to stop what was going on. The the point of view, the Spiegelman point of view that that I really uh, agree is that it's not that important to know. Uh, first of all, because it's impossible. Probably will be in 100 years when some archive will be disclosed then. Right. <laughs> some kind of truth. When everyone uh, is dead. Who's... Will come. Uh, will, uh, and honestly, for the... for. For the, um, it's not that important. It's more important to see and that that whatever whatever was the cause and the the responsibility in what happened, um, uh, the the government at the time decided to use the what was going on to accomplish their own agenda, to um, to use the events to direct the history in certain kind of. Uh, directions that um, at the time like now I don't agree at all and uh, uh, that would take us in a very deep uh, talk that I don't know if it's the case to do now even because you know once again uh, I think um, I I like to touch this topic with a lot of respect for uh, what what was um, you know something that really touched deep feelings of people here, like basically everywhere, because then I, I think that what happened in in U.S. at the time basically changed the the course of the history in the entire world. So, um, but that that was exactly this is what what I think um, was impressive of Spiegelman's uh, point of view on the whole uh, story of September 11. The idea that it's not that important to make any kind of speculation about uh, how it was possible and now it's possible and nobody knew. Uh, the important thing is that the whole thing was used uh, for specific, um, um, for a specific agenda that was um, um, something that gave a direction to the, the history that was not discussed in any, um, in any other uh, place. Where sure. He didn't actually see the first plane smash into the tower a few blocks south of his Soho home. They heard the crash behind them while heading north. He did see the face of a woman heading south. Though he and his wife, Blase New York, is dating to turn around. Holy shit! God's name got taken in vain a lot that morning. Their daughter had just started high school at the foot of the towers three days before. He ran back home to phone the school so he only saw the second plane smash into the tower on TV. Art! Forget the damn phone! Just hurry! Though he heard the deafening crash right outside his window. He saw the burning towers as he and his wife ran to Canal Street toward the school, but his view was obstructed as he ran up the next block. He could only see smoke billowing behind a giant billboard. It was for some dopey new Schwarzenegger movie about terrorism. Oh my god! Oddly, in the aftermath of September 11th, some pundits insisted that irony was dead. So I'll say two quick things. One is this is a very left-leaning show, even though it mostly talks about music, so <laughs> you're safe. Um, but two... To me, part of the power of Spiegelman's work and I think the power of your multimedia project is that it's able to address these topics in a way that is maybe more emotionally 
resonant than if you just wrote an essay or if Spiegelman had just written an essay. Mm-hmm. It seems like this this project is able to humanize or or make very relatable these topics that you're talking about so that you can watch this DVD and you can feel emotionally the the horror and the terror of that day but you can also i think really relate to what happened afterward without it like beating you over the head necessarily or without speeches necessarily i think it's very powerful in that way to use the arts to look at the world that way yeah Actually, I, I can quote what Spiegelman himself said once that he came to. Uh, we did this, this, this live version of uh, the old thing in New York two times in occasion of uh, uh, two memorials, basically, in uh, 2000, uh, I guess it was 2008 to 2009, both on September 11th. You did the English version. We did an English version, uh, not with Tortura at the time. Uh, the first time we did it with uh, Eric Bogosian mm, and wow. Elliot Sharp as guests too. And this was done in Issue Project Room uh, in 2009. And the second time we did a drum, and the speaker at the time was Steve Delanjinski, and uh, who also did an amazing job, even not being exactly an actor, but more like a poet and an yeah. improviser. Um, so the second time when we did the drum uh, in 2009, uh, Spiegelman came with all his family, <laughs> meaning uh, <laughs> his wife and his daughter, the Har characters uh, in, yeah. the, in, the, in, the, in the comic. And, um, and at some point I was performing and I was looking at the table where he was sitting with his family and I don't see him anymore. <laughs> So I see where, I mean, it was so disgusting the thing he ran away. Uh, so after the um, the concert, I uh, he was somewhere there, and I I go to him and say, Art, oh, did you? I mean, I I, I don't know how, how to ask you if you liked the thing, <laughs> if it was what he expected. I said, Man, you ruined my day because you know my daughter was here. She watching the scene, uh, you know, watching the old story that I narrated in the book in this context with with live music. And uh, with the live narrator, she basically freaked out recalling that day. And uh, the whole thing was very intense. So she ran out of the um, club and I had to, to, to run uh, after her. So I didn't see the whole thing. And you basically ruined my day. But that means it works. You know, it works very well. And probably <laughs> you people, you musicians, don't, uh, are, you know, uh, are not... Uh, sensitive anymore how much music can can, um, you know increase, improve the feelings and uh, emotion in uh, in something Uh, I don't think my book when you read it gives the same kind of powerful uh, stroke that (laughs) the the whole thing you did with the live performance did now I don't know if this is true Uh, it was just nice to uh, isn't it? He is uh, always um, is always this uh, kind of interesting comments that you never would expect. Like you know, do whatever you do want. Don't expect me to like it <laughs> right. because I won't. But you know, <laughs> don't worry because I don't like anything, even what I do. You know, this kind of thing. Sure. So you know, in a way, probably that's true. I mean, there is the um, the um, the music and the narration are built in a in a way that as uh, like. Uh, uh, you know, um, a crescendo, and uh, I'm glad to to see that actually what we try to do so to uh, to give back the the, the feeling of a drama uh, on which to reflect with a kind of spicy irony that is what basically Spiegelman does in his book uh, came out even in uh, in this work we did yeah. um, putting in this DVD version. I want to ask you uh, some questions not about this DVD, but I want to ask you one more about it, um, which is, can you just talk about how John Turturro ended up being in the the English version? Oh, this, this is a very uh, interesting story because, you know, um, I'm very glad that this whole thing is coming out in DVD because I I really was uh, a big supporter of this, this project and probably the only one for years <laughs> because, you know, I... Um, I was not successful with uh, many uh, targets uh, to, uh, to which I proposed the idea to release 
this thing. I tried, for example, to with several um, weekly and daily newspaper in Italy that are used to come out with, uh, you know, a uh, book or uh, together with the newspaper or a DVD or a CD. And uh, nobody wanted, I mean, everybody's uh, always said, ah, that's wonderful, that's beautiful, that's uh, whatever. But, you know, nobody had the courage to invest some money and support the thing because, and I was told several times, because the topic was too tough. Mm. So, you know, it's not something people necessarily will buy. And at the end, we all know that to do things, you need money. And <laughs> if somebody invests money, wants the, uh, you know, the investment back somehow, it's, it's, it's uh, probably not nice to talk about this kind of practical aspect uh, considering the topic of the whole work, but uh, it's what it is. So yeah. I just, at the end, I ended up with Mood Records because uh, to propose it to Mood Records because it's a label that I'm used to work for and uh, a label for which I have a great uh, appreciation for all what, what the kind of uh, line of uh, pa uh, production that they had through the years. And, uh, and, um, and I had this idea because they are used to do DVDs, but anything like this was done before by mm -hmm. Mondo Records. So uh, when Brian Brandt saw this, this work, he got suddenly enthusiastic about the idea and he told me the only thing we should do is to uh, to get on track a famous italian uh, american actor because that's the only way i can deal with the american market um, so what happened is that uh, uh, my own town is naples and just in those days we're talking about like uh, around christmas holidays uh, last christmas holidays um, Torturo, this, the, his last movie is about is kind of musical, mm -hmm. done about music in my hometown in Naples. So, um, I have a lot of friends in Naples that uh, were involved in this movie that he did. Okay. So, you know, talking with friends about this old story, somebody gave me the idea. Why don't you try with Torturo? And uh, I say, oh, that's a nice idea, but <laughs> why don't I try directly with um, San Gennaro, like God? Direct? And he say, no, no, but, uh, you know, we are in touch with him because we work with him for all this thing um, about uh, Passione, the title of his movie. So here is his email, try. So I did try, and uh, I, I have to say that he was very nice because he accepted to be involved, involved in this project. Um, without um, anything else than the appreciation for the the old work, and it was of course a low budget production. At the end, it didn't up to be a production somehow, but you know, still we're talking about something that is far from any kind of Hollywood of half Hollywood <laughs> right. thing. So um, that's the way it was. Uh, I, we never did it lie with him. Um, hopefully, we will in the future. Um, and uh, he came in studio where, when the music and the video were already assembled and uh, rec recorded the narration, and then we edited it in, and that's what you hear, uh, can listen on the video. Yeah, well, he does an amazing job. I mean, he's, he's a, a phenomenal he's actor. A, he's one of the great. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I think for me it's particularly impressive because I was used to watch uh, uh, Cohen uh, Brothers movies mm -hmm. and... Uh, Torturo is very famous in, in sure. Europe because of that. But then, then he did a lot of other stuff, and I saw also him at theater. But I was used to to listen to him translated uh, in uh, overdubbed in Italian. Okay. So when I moved here in the states, I started to watch movies in uh, in, in English, and uh, I got very used to his real voice. And then I saw him in theater too. Once, uh, End Games, uh, back at End Games, I remember at BAM, uh, was so amazing. So I, I mean, I really couldn't hope any better than work with him. And uh, I do say that uh, this is not only great actor and amazing professional; he's also a very, he's uh, a great human being. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm very glad that uh, that I could work with him on this project. That's great. Remember those dead and cuddly tower twins? Help, Uncle! Screw loose! Help! Fire! Here you go, kiddies. The elixir of the goods. What the 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 what the
Vengeance! Dying, rotted heathens! <laughs> the hornet has flown the coop! Yeah, <laughs> here's Von Ugly Burger, Von Don't Fly! Now is war! Irrigated. Wrong bug! Yikes! The hornet is coming again! This is modern, now this is on fire! Stupid boogers, sing again those New York small alligators and see if I can. One more editorial comment for me that although the behind the scenes, the budget for this may have been low, what people will see when they watch the DVD is is anything but low budget. I mean, I think the thing is amazing. It, I hope that this is going to find a much wider audience than like just us here in the little tiny jazz world because it's I think this is an important important piece. I mean I think it's it's not like most of the things I end up talking about on this show, which are good and they're good records and I'm glad they yeah. exist. But I mean I think this is really an important piece of art. That, I, that I people thank need you to for know this about. comment because you know um uh, also for me, I mean it, I, it's the first time I did something like that. The only reason I did it is because, you know, once again, um the book, the topic, you know, all these things connected together. What I use usually do are CD, like uh, like every musician usually does. And uh, the idea to uh, basically coordinate this project uh, is something kind of unusual. And uh, I'm very glad that despite, you know, the difficulties in uh, about the, the budget side of the whole thing, you know, the, the final result is, is, is you, know, this, you know, is what you are talking about with these nice words <laughs> you just <laughs> had for it. Um, I saw you uh, not too long ago at the Undead Jazz Fest as part of this uh, series of like shifting duets that went on all one night. And so one of the things I was really impressed by was watching you play your guitar, and particularly the way in which your guitar is different from many guitars. <laughs> and I was hoping maybe you could tell people a little bit about the guitar that I saw that night and, and how you came up with the idea to do what you do with it. Look, guitar is a strange instrument, and everybody <laughs> plays it. So the only thing you can do uh, in order to be, um, you know, to have the chance to get little place in the in the Olympus of guitar player <laughs> is to do something weird with it. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't say that's the reason because <laughs> no, it's it's a joke. I mean, uh, uh, I I have a classical background. Uh, my uh, my background was like. You know, just conservatory studies with um, uh, very kind of straight and classical guitar uh, direction. But I started to to be involved since I was like in my twenties in um, in a lot of contemporary music that I consider in the classical guitar repertoire um, is the, the 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 most interesting part uh, of the repertoire. So I I, I started to um, to deal with the the strangest score, the strangest. Um, music languages and premiere of new music and stuff like that. Is that because that's what appealed to you aesthetically? That's the music that you that resonated with you? Or? Um, that's would, would take us in a deep <laughs> conversation. <laughs> but you know, it's strange. I, when I started to play classical guitar, uh, I don't think I really wanted to to play it. But it was the only thing. Uh, a middle class boy that comes from uh, a no music family could could do at the time in my hometown. There was no teaching for jazz, no teaching for electric guitar, so those kind of things were things you were learn used to learn on the road yeah i mean so that 's why I found myself in the classical guitar environment that was not exactly what um, appealed to me sure and I realized this like later you know like uh you know, I, I remember a very strange story then that I recall the time, because I remember I I had to have pretty confused ideas at the time. My father being a judge and my mother a primary school teacher, but I remember that when I I was fourteen, uh, I asked my, an uncle of mine if he could give me a jazz record, and he gave me Harvest by Neil Young. So I. I <laughs> <laughs> you can understand that the start was not great <laughs> somehow. <laughs> so, you know. Um, you asked him because you thought he knew? or just Because he, just, he knew. I mean, oh, he, okay. uh, I thought, you know, who you ask something you don't know to somebody. I mean, not uh, to my father, 
there was no possibility to get any answer right. uh, about anything related to anything out of Italian border. So <laughs> I remember this uncle that looked like pretty, you know, somebody who knew the, <laughs> the word better. <laughs> so, you know, by the way, that, that means just that there was no approachable education at the time, music sure. education uh, for a guitar player that was not classical guitar. That's why I was... Uh, and then when I decided to get serious in it, you know, like uh, with the energy of a um, teenager, <laughs> I did it very seriously for a while. And I don't regret now. I mean, I, I think it, it was like, um, um, I, I like to have that kind of background. But I, you know, when I was uh, in my late 20s, I, I started to leave the straight classical guitar environment to start to, you know, explore some different um, music and, words. And why? What, what was it that was causing you to, to do that? Well, first of all, I think that uh, classical guitar is very interesting, very attractive somehow, but very decadent, <laughs> and very self-related aesthetically. And um, through the years, I, I developed a, something that was very clear uh, to me always, but I couldn't explain it better at the time, but now I kind of can explain it. So uh, I'm not interested very much in what is beautiful or, or, or not beautiful. I'm more interested in what is more related to a language that has a kind of um, actuality. Okay. Um, and so the problem of beauty is not something I consider very interesting. Uh, more, I, I consider more interesting if a language that I am uh, trying to approach is is um, related to the, the the contemporary life we live or or not. So. That's why I was. I started to to see myself much more involved in uh, in uh, in the contemporary classical guitar repertoire, and especially uh, one thing I did a lot and really kind of reflected my uh, attitude was to work with composer to premieres uh, to premiering new music, and and through this path I found myself to come in New York and explore. The New York scene. Of course, you know, in this process, I met a lot of uh, musicians coming from other kind of backgrounds. Uh, so I, I found myself working with rock people, jazz people. You know, I, I usually don't like very much to this kind of uh, you know classifications in music. Me I, I when somebody asks me what kind of music you do, I always. I found myself in a big crisis because you know, I don't know how to answer <laughs> in a way that makes sense. Right. Uh, it's strange because nowadays I'm used to um, to be involved in in, in 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 things that are related to jazz, uh, but I never had a jazz background. So I recently went to play the Montreal Jazz Festival with in this band. Uh, it's an amazing man uh, with Mark Rebot called Caged Funk. Yeah. And uh, I have all those fr these these friends in Italy that are 
very well-trained jazz musician that couldn't believe it. <laughs> couldn't believe that <laughs> I was going <laughs> to play in such a temple of jazz music and and there would sail their mothers to do that and uh, you know <laughs> so it's it's pretty funny well the uh the kind of origin of of this topic that we're talking about now was me asking you about the the modifications you made to your guitar yeah so was that something that grew out of this more contemporary no being serious or? about it um i was always um um you know th- th- there was a time which i was playing a lot of music that uh was using um, the sound of the instrument in an unconventional way. Okay. Uh, so I remember uh, this guitar that probably everybody, every guitar player remember, at least like uh, people around their 40s, uh, because John McLaughlin was using this guitar when he was playing with Shakti, this mm-hmm. amazing uh, Indian music band in the late 70s. Yeah. And he had a guitar with this cross string. So I had, I, I remember this, like, the, the cover of this, this long playing with, with this photo. And then I decided to, to I, I, I'm a very close friend of an amazing guitar maker in my hometown. And we started to experiment how to, we could, like, do something that could recall that idea. Uh, and in the process of looking for, for this thing, I, 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 I realized that there were other, many other ways to use those strings than the way Jamal Laughlin did. Even because he, he was doing this just to imitate the cedar, uh, because you know, that's what he needed for um, uh, this guitar in, in the music right. uh, of that band. And um, so I, I put those strings. So, so basically this guitar uh, has just those eight cross strings that go under the, the regular six string. And... Um, uh, I put them in an angle that is uh, make them playable. Okay. Uh, so I developed certain kind of right hand technique in which you can use uh, both sets of strings and uh, um, and I had a lot of music written for this instrument uh, from people, uh, many of them in New York actually. Um, people who use this instrument in a way that I never could imagine. So I, I basically developed an improvisational language, even stealing ideas from composers that wrote music for me, uh, which is a very interesting mutual way of growing up together yeah. for uh, an interpreter and a composer. And kind of how um, language is supposed to work Yeah. anyway. I mean, it right, takes right. from diversity of sources and... Yeah, I mean, that's the way you develop basically your improvisational language. Just, sure. uh, you know, playing with people, uh, watching other players. and uh, But it was, was interesting because, you know, uh, I, I learned a lot about this instrument through the commissions I did of music that was written, true composed for, for, the, for this instrument. And so through the years, I developed a kind of my own improvisational language that, you know, Coming back to the beginning of <laughs> this conversation about the specific topic, in, you know, as the ad, uh, give me the advantage to be a little weird compared to uh, the, the the mass of uh, uh, guitar players. Just because you know, no, uh, usually people don't play classical guitar in this environment, and especially don't play amplified classical guitar, and. And that kind of guitar I use is the only one I saw. Like right. That. So it gives me the possibility to explore a sound that is pretty original and not very common. And uh, I know that was a joke. I, I didn't do it on purpose to be successful. Right. You know? right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I did it because, you know, it was interesting. And it, through the years, it, it reveals to be like an interesting thing, pretty yeah. unusual. That, that's all.
if if financial success or fame is your goal, becoming an experimental guitar player probably <laughs> is not the quickest path to, no, to, to, that, to that goal. But I have to say, the last year I, I was very lucky because you know I played in a benefit for Mod Records, mm-hmm. and uh, the curator of this exposition was in MoMA uh, recently, I think just throughout August, that was about the... Um, Picasso's guitar. I saw I that. Know. You saw that. Yeah. So, you know, the curator that um, had the amazing idea to, uh, to organize four guitar concerts uh, at the beginning of the exposition in February, back in February. And uh, they called me as an experimental guitar player uh, together with other four uh, guitarists. And I was very glad because, you know, that was like to win uh, the lottery because, you know, <laughs> I mean, there are many more than four gu- experimental right. guitar players. Great <laughs> in New York. So, you know, uh, I was very glad that to have the possibility to play there. And uh, and everybody appreciated very much the, this instrument because it was actually the weirdest one. In sure. The, <laughs> in the, um, you know, looked actually like one of the Picasso's guitars. Right. <laughs> <laughs> does, does playing the kind of guitar you play and the way you play it does it change your role inside the ensembles, either what you, the things that you can do, or does it change the way you kind of navigate around the other musicians? In a way, it does. I don't know if it, the instrument or the, the kind of way I play it, it's difficult to say for me. It would be easier to, to say for somebody else who sure. looks from outside. But one thing about this instrument is that it creates a very interesting resonance um, and uh, there is like a natural reverb. I try to use as less electronic I can usually because I, I really am interested to explore the acoustic sound, amplified sound, uh, the acoustic amplified sound of, of the instrument. But, you know, there is a kind of natural resonance that comes out from the sympathetic uh, response of, uh, of the strings. And, uh, and also some of the techniques that is very kind of uh, spontaneous to use on, on the instrument give some percussive effect that are mm. kind of interesting. When you mix this up with your own sensibility, something kind of in weird comes out. And, of course, this has its own, its own influence in the interplay with other musicians. Um, I did recently... I did form the trio that um, uh, has the, you know... Uh, not very original name of Marco Capelli Acoustic <laughs> Trio, just because we didn't find any better. Um, just because I wanted to explore, I, I, I wanted to, you know, after playing, having played music written for this instrument and uh, having improvised with this instrument around, I wanted to create my own my own music to use what I think this 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 music. Um, environment can mm. can give to the audience. Um, I wanted to do it myself, you know, through my own compositions, and um, it's one actually of the project I am more um, interested to develop, which is uh, this trio I have with Ken Filiano and Satoshi Takeshi, um, in which I can find room f- to use this instrument at its best, basically. Yeah. So um, I definitely would say that. Uh, in this case, it influences the the interplay with other musicians. But at this point, I don't know if it's my way. I mean, I don't know if it was the instrument to teach me something or, I, um, or me learning to use it. You or know, maybe it's both. mutual. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah way, exactly. So.
Well, my guest is Marco Capelli, and uh, as I said before, I think uh, I think the DVD project is is really important, and uh, I wish you a lot of success with it because I think it's I think it's something more than than just another record. I, I'm really impressed by it. Thank you. I, I hope that we will have uh, we are trying to organize uh, some screenings, some public screenings in um, September. Um, so probably when uh, I will know exactly where and when, I'll let you know. Okay, so great. You can. Uh, um, maybe uh, let the listeners know. Yeah, yeah. Like give notice, and uh, hopefully soon uh, we will have like also live um, uh, release concert with the live version of the old uh, work. Great. Uh, hopefully together with John Turturro. We'll see. Well, it's been a pleasure to meet you and to talk to you. Thank you for doing. Thank it. you, and thank you for having me. Sorry for my English. That you know, it's, I apologize for it's than mine. especially with deep concept about <laughs> the, the, all the politics side of the conversation. I uh, would have been easier for me to say, uh, you know, uh, sure. this in Italian. But um, I hope that was understandable. <laughs> you, what I was trying to fine. say. <laughs> thank you. Thanks a lot, Mark. That is music from Marco Capelli's trio recording, and before that we heard uh, samples from the new DVD project In the Shadow of No Towers. It's my pleasure to have Marco on the show, and I hope that you will seek out that DVD and uh, get a copy for yourself. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session. The show is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. You can become a member at thejazzsession.com slash join, and I hope you will to keep this show coming to you. And now, if you would, please get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.